0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Geek Rant, episode 222, CES 2016, recorded January 10th, 2016, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the show that used to be about Linux but wasn't really about Linux, but now it's about geeks who rant. I am geek, (laughs) and hear me rant. Geeks um we uh we're we're happy to be back with you for our second show of the year our second show of this episode of this podcast that starts out with 221 wow the the the, the what a tangled web we weave when first that's, we practice to rebrand um, that's a yay, new pox. <laughs> my name is mark also known as the sultan of the soap box and i am your host for this uh extravaganza and joining me this week for the first time in like seven years is chris the command line godfather neves along with seth the gooey kid anderson hello gentlemen
1: seven years i wasn't gone that long but i know it felt like it i'm sure
2: yeah yeah well you know absence makes the heart grow fonder and all that so yeah, don't time, lie. <laughs> Lies when we're having fun. Um, I, I don't know. Well, we're glad to have you back.
0: Oh, Sulta. Uh, oh, uh, wait. I'm the Sulta. Oh, uh, uh, command line Godfather. You were there with you us go. in in ghostly presence, a la Ebenezer Scrooge, uh, for our uh, last episode of the year with uh, your take on Gnome Three. Um, yep. Uh, so you you haven't been completely gone just just gone from our absence and, and also back after i wish i'd looked it up three or four months uh miles wakeham is joining us again hey Miles! hello
3: everybody and uh, welcome back miles thank you very much glad to be back
0: uh, miles is your your favorite phoenix australian
3: um, <laughs> yeah, there's not many of us. We're a dying
0: <laughs> breed. Um, and uh, Miles spent this week uh, doing uh, the hard work for you so that you didn't have to. He went to uh, CES 2016, and he's here to just tell us all about it, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but first, um, we have some pointless stuff to talk about. Um <laughs> And uh, I I do want to. Before I go any further, I want to say that we've had so much follow up on last week' week's episode uh, about uh, uh, Facebook and and public versus private and and written versus verbal uh, that I'm not going to address any of that tonight because there's so much of it. I want to do an entire follow up episode. where i address your Very concerns cool. and and maybe maybe get uh, a couple of people on who had some some strong opinions i'm not really sure exactly how we're going to handle that but it was too big a thing for me to just be reading emails because they're going to keep coming in uh for the next couple of weeks i'm pretty sure so i'm going to wait until i've sort of gathered uh your feedback surprisingly uh people disagreed with me it's uh, it's amazing i don't think that's ever happened in the history of uh of what? my podcasting career
2: it hasn't People happened to the with you. Of D. Grant, That's true.
0: First. Yeah, it's the first time in this show that anybody's ever disagreed <laughs> with me. Uh, uh but so we'll talk about that later. Uh but Seth, I need to know what is the Spider Web Club?
2: Well, I dropped my phone and ah, the yes. screen. You know, it's Spider Web. It's the first I've I've had a smartphone off and on for low these many a year, and finally I broke one. And I was like, okay, I'm a geek. I'm going to get me a screen, and I'm going to fix it. So since I'm a Prime member, where do I go to look for a screen? I go to Amazon so I can get the Prime shipping. And in order to get something there the next day, it was going to be over $60. I could get one for 40 if I waited two weeks. And I'm like, I'm not going to go two weeks with this crappy phone screen. The phone was only a $100. So I just, after work, I went and bought another phone. So... (laughs) i i have the i bought the exact same model um so now i have a broken phone and my regular phone and now that my credit card month has reset i think i'm gonna get a case for this one yeah there you go
0: so i uh had never broken i'd been through like four phones and never broken a screen and i got my nexus 5 and i broke the screen three times on it well three screens i broke it twice um and the last wow. time I decided to live with it. The first time I paid a guy like hundred and twenty bucks to fix it, because like you said, you can get the part for fifty to sixty, you know, depending on what it is. And that's that's a dubious part. Sometimes it's probably not Gorilla Glass. It's probably tempered glass at best. Um, and then it's the time it takes to you know you got to heat it up and peel the adhesive off and all that. So I just took it to a guy who said he'd do it for. It was less than one fifty. I don't remember what it was, but the phone was only three fifty. Right. So when it right. happened a second time, I'm like, no, that's it. Because if I replace it again for another 150, I've now essentially bought a new phone. So I just lived with it for like another full year. Um, and as long as it's not, you know, interfering with functionality, that the, probably the first time I wouldn't have replaced it, except the crack went right through the camera lens uh, on the front and made the front oh, wow. camera useless. Um, so, uh, and the second one, I just lived with it.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Well, this yeah, one was just. I have yet to break one.
0: Well, t- today's your day, now that you've said that.
2: <laughs> Welcome to the club, Chris. <laughs> so, t- knock on wood.
0: Again. Next week, Chris <laughs> will come in here and-, and show us his broken phone.
1: There's a chance. Be, uh, it might be on purpose, though, because I might have thrown my work phone. Does that count? Sure, as
3: far as I'm concerned.
0: Okay. It does. <laughs> what about you, Miles? Hey. Have you ever broken a phone screen?
3: you know out of my family i'm the only one who hasn't and yet my daughter has and my wife has it's just for some reason i've always drawn the lucky straw so so far so good and touch wood and i'm looking for any wood i can find here right now but yeah it's going to happen to all of us at some point
0: yeah there's you know but you're carrying a piece of glass somewhere between 4 and 6 inches wide you're going to drop it at some point and and it's going to land right right on the corner like like mine did it had a case on it but it landed in just such a way that there was a piece of gravel on the ground that hit mm-hmm. just that right point, and that's all it takes. I'm, I've actually become a big fan of the tempered glass screen protectors since then um, because they yeah. they can take the beating, they, You know, like the Secret Service guy. They take the bullet. Uh, they go to the hospital. The president keeps going. You peel that tempered glass off. You put another one on. You're fine. Uh, having right. said that... I'm such a big fan of it. I don't have one on my new phone. I keep saying, I need to order one of those. If only they were someplace I could get one in a couple of days with, yeah. no, with no shipping.
1: You know, you know elementop.com slash Amazon? Something yeah, like that. that. Something like that.
0: I bought one for my, <laughs> for my daughter's phone, uh, and she uh, let a friend of hers use the phone, and the friend said, what is this? Peeled it off, then got a big fingerprint on the bottom, and then put it back on. And now there's nothing but a big smudge right in the middle of it. So essentially, it had to come off. It was it was unusable. So yay, middle school friend.
1: <laughs> I hate putting on those screen protectors though. No matter it seems like no matter how hard I work to get you know a lint-free environment, there's always like <laughs> three pieces of lint that gets in there right as I'm putting it down. Just right. Yeah. You know.
0: And I hate it. And you have some complaints about the Google Now launcher, I, I see.
1: Yeah, actually, this kind of blew me away. Um, for those that don't know, and for those that don't remember, uh, I have an HTC M8. I love the phone. It's been a great phone. Uh, it's starting to get a little long in the tooth, so it's going to be replaced soon. But I've been running the Google Now launcher for pretty much the entire life of the phone. And then just the other day, it just got to the point where I was rebooting the phone three or four times a day because it would lock up. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. I can't This is not functionable. You know, I I need to find something else. So I was like, "Well, let's try the stock launcher." Went back to the Sense UI. Wow, that's a pile of garbage. But I was like, "All right, Nova seems to be the the granddaddy of everybody." Let's try Nova. And man, Nova has turned my phone back into a speedy little demon again. Awesome. Uh, I don't know why Google Now all of a sudden just started chugging it down. But uh, yeah, the second I pulled Google the Google Now launcher off. My phone instantly started reacting and going almost all day without a reboot so mm.
0: I don't know it's it's still sad that you said almost all day that like the huge improvement <laughs> yeah. is you can almost use your phone
1: I can almost use it <laughs> almost all day
0: yeah um, before you know
1: like well you know you, you, if you're going from four reboots to one that's livable right. I can understand that you know kick the phone off before I go climbing the car and who cares but Four times a day, it was a little rough. So, darn you, Google Now Launcher.
0: I'm a big fan of the Google Now Launcher. I know other people uh, don't like it, but I, I've run it. Again, I've had Nexus phones for the last uh, several. In fact, all but one phone I've, I've had. This one is as close to a Nexus as you can get, the, uh, mm-hmm. the uh, Moto X Pure. Uh, so, I really like it, but again, I've I've run phones designed for it, and you, you exactly. ad hoc it. Yeah.
1: So. I'm curious to find out when I get my Pure here in a couple of months. Will that change? Can I go back to the now? Because I miss it. I miss the Google Now slide over.
0: My wife's One Plus One got an update this weekend, and after the update, it said, "Hey, would you like to try Cortana?" I don't know what's up with that. Oh, wow! So there's some sort of deal happened there
2: yeah I was reading about that um, I didn't include it in any of the tech stories this week but a lot of people are saying that they're getting like Microsoft results now whenever they search hmm. So huh.
1: that kind of goes par for the course though Microsoft seems to always weasel in one way or another uh, it
0: may be time to 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 root the, and rom that phone I've, I've never you know it's been stock she's enjoyed it that way but uh, you know if they're going to start doing that kind of garbage uh uh-uh. oh
1: yeah, but what would you go back to? Would you bring it all the way back to. Because uh, the OnePlus One, is that, is that so running the oxygen, oxygen or is that would, running well, Cyanogen? It's Cyanogen? It's
0: Cyanogen mod. It's not. Uh, it's the original. Put, yeah. So I would probably just go straight to, uh, to AOSP and straight Android. There you go. Because uh, the original Cyanogen mod was AOSP plus a few things. And they've really started crapping it up lately. Uh, Maybe that's their plan to get people to buy new phones, is release updates that make their old phones terrible.
2: No, they want to give Android a bad name, so you'll give uh, Windows Mobile a try. That's probably their plan. That's another
1: one. I saw one in the wild the other day, a Windows phone. I was shocked.
2: Was it wild, or were you in a zoo setting? uh... (laughs) Uh,
1: It was wild. I was at work, and my work is currently an Apple haven and it drives me nuts but yeah there was one of the one of my electricians whipped out a windows mobile phone and i was surprised when i saw it i'm like i don't see that phone right ever and he says he loves it he'll never buy another phone ever again unless it's another windows phone
3: hmm.
2: good for him i guess yeah,
0: i it, i think it really there's parody we've talked about this before whatever you like, you like. you yep um And if Apple's your your thing, then Apple it is. uh You know, I'm I, I'm stuck in the Google environment. I'm happy to be stuck. I I enjoy being in the Google environment. So I always have Android. In a yes, I I have mainlined that coup. Cool. I put a uh, put a chest tube in uh to save time.
1: Oh, I, how's the chest tube versus the drip? The drip is what I got. I like the drip.
0: Oh no, <laughs> the, the full on. I can turn that thing up, and it's it's great.
1: Oh. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay.
0: And so, Seth, you, uh, you have been, uh, expanding your, uh, uh, podcast horizons. I actually saw some, some email as a result of that.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I went to, I was, um, listening to another podcast and they talked about this, uh, podcast meetup uh nationwide convention thing and I was like, Oh, that would be cool. So I went there and of course, you know, it was like too far away and it had just happened. So I was like, well I can't go to that one. I was like, but surely Dallas, Texas is large enough to have something. So I found Meetup dot com and they have like a podcast thing. So I joined and the first meeting was this past week and so I went and I mean, I listened to um, an Amway-esque presentation about how to increase your Twitter footprint. And you gave lots of good suggestions on how to do it. But I I wanted to say, what's the point of having, you know, being like in the top 10 most followed people in Dallas? How do you monetize that? You come out to groups and sell your book. Uh, but, you know, so... I don't know it was cool to go and i met some people and um I, i'll go back again and you know and i said oh yeah we've been doing a podcast almost five years over 200 episodes they were like wow really so you know we've been at it a while and nobody's ever heard of us but we're doing good work <laughs> right so
0: <laughs> you know that you ask how do you monetize that twitter doesn't know the answer to that they haven't figured out how to monetize twitter followers
2: yet
1: yeah I don't, and, it, I don't think it's possible personally. Because people are going to unfollow you the second you try, I think. Yeah.
2: But you know, um I went back and I did um well I, I told this last week. I re enabled Twitter to reach out to somebody about my refund for my holo tablet, and I haven't heard back yet. So <laughs>
0: All right. Well, uh, that's it for the, the inanity. And as I said, we're not going to have any listener feedback because I'm, I'm storing all that. All the listener feedback I got was about last week's show. There wasn't anything about anything else yet. Um, I, one of them, I'm, I'm just going to say, it began with the words, bless your heart. And if you're from the South, you know that <laughs> wow. that translates as "you're so dumb."
2: Um, <laughs> bless your heart.
0: <laughs> so, uh, you know, I know two things about that person immediately: one, they're Southern, and two, uh, they're feeling sorry for me at that moment. <laughs> Mark, bless your heart. Um, <laughs> it's it's you can say anything you want to about somebody in the South. You can insult them any any way you want, as long as you follow it up with "bless their heart," and then it's okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So, Miles, tell us about CES Um, without any prompting. First, just give me your first. Let's ask this: Why did you want to go?
3: I go every year, and this is the second. Actually, this is the second or third. I can't remember now. It it's not the first. It's not the first rodeo, Um, but it's. I I guess for me, I kind of like to try to see the future a little bit, and CES gives you that little. Opportunity, that very small window to see what other people are thinking for the next 12 months. And so it's a good sort of a January kick you into the year and, and get you motivated on what you want to be be doing tech wise. Uh, so I use it as a bit of that. It's a bit of motivational, you know, spiritual healing or something to kick the year off. Um, but at the most <laughs> part, it's you just can really see rack up the, the, manufacturers they've got to offer.
0: You can really rack up the steps on the Fitbit at CES.
3: <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. If you've ever, have you, uh, I should ask the question. Have you guys been to the Las Vegas, Vegas convention center before?
0: No, not I. It
3: is, it is huge. I mean, it's hard to even imagine. It feels like probably a mile around. I mean, it's, it's just massive and it's building after building after building. And the thing about CES is that it also involves all of the neighboring hotels as well. They're all part of the collective convention um it's the Ooh. biggest convention vegas ever hosts uh, i think it was was 175,000 people there this this time and you know, up from about 165 last time and i remember one of the cabbies was telling me that they were trying to get the number down to 150 because it was just congesting all the streets and, and that fail on that one it was <laughs> completely covered with people just end to end you you, you do walk a lot but you spend a lot of time in cabs waiting to get a park to try to get near the convention center, so you don't have to walk a lot. It's 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 a zoo. All
0: right, so uh, maybe I should back up a little bit. In case you don't know, CES is the Consumer Electronics Show. It's not intended to be a, um, uh, an, an end-user show. It's intended to be where um, manufacturers talk to the people who are going to be buying their stuff. So Sony will go talk to Best Buy essentially, uh, about what they're looking to do in the coming year. But it has become way more than that. Uh, those sort of things still go on, but it's really become an end-user uh, media thing where we look at what, um, you know, it's not even what is coming in the year 2016 anymore. People have been st- taking this opportunity to to show even proof-of-concept things uh, just to yep. try to get anything to get attention. Would you, would you say that's an, a, a, an accurate assessment, Miles?
3: Uh, totally, yeah. It is. It's, it's really... Uh, I, I could sum it up pretty quickly. It's everybody trying to provide a solution and no one knows what the problem is. Um, that's what CES is. It's kind of like an out there vision of what might come. There's no guarantee that anything you see is going to end up turning into a product. Um, some things you'll see are already products and other things were just prototypes. And there can be the craziest things you can ever imagine. Um, I think there were 3,200 uh, vendors At the show, so you can imagine, it's very, very hard to see everything. Uh, You go for the big ones because they've got the front of, you know, the best real estate. They'll they'll be right in your face as you walk through the door, and then you know all of the sweet little things that you never expected to find are somewhere in the back, and you have to kind of weed through it.
0: Who was the keynote this year? I think it was Nokia last year, wasn't it?
3: Uh, Uh, They had one every day. Um, I think the first one was Intel. Um, I know GM did one, and I think Samsung did one uh and that's going off memory I, I didn't get to the keynotes they're like nine o'clock in the morning and i'm not even awake then <laughs> uh, so, so i'm the days half sad.
0: over by 9 a.m
3: miles <laughs> i'm looking forward to lunch by 9 a.m yeah <laughs> no it was uh and they were the other thing was that the keynotes were all uh off they were off-site. They didn't do them in the convention center. I think they did them at the the Aria or the Venetian or some of the hotels nearby. So you had to make a special trip to get to the keynote. I, I'm not sure if that was by design or not. Hmm. But it was good. I mean, it, it, I you could probably pick that stuff up on video. I know certainly if you were there, you could pick it up uh, at various places. Um, CES is kind of the way they structure it is a little awkward and most people who go there will complain about the fact that trying to work out where to go and how to find something is very difficult you have to do some work um it's so big it's a lot of things are hidden and they require a lot of google searching and a lot of just asking people um but once you find your way it's it's good
1: you would think that they'd want not, you know not to hide some of that stuff but i guess with that many you know booths and people it, it'd be pretty easy to lose stuff in the crowd
3: oh yeah it's a huge crowd i mean you you are it's it's you feel like you're walking in the center of tokyo everybody's bumping up against each other there's no room you can't you can't stand still for five minutes because everyone's going to just sort of push you uh to keep moving so getting huh. a chance to see anything at a booth is, is difficult you've got to pick your Pick your position, and then just hope that you can actually see it for a period of time before you get moved along.
0: As a lifelong claustrophobic, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit right there. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It it, it's definitely not for those that (laughs) need their little domain of space around. (laughs) Yeah, you're in my bubble,
0: man. So it sounds
3: like (laughs) being
2: a Sounds like being a big person might work out to your advantage. <laughs> Everybody, you just, move! You just kind of walk sure. through the crowd and force your way to where you want to go, and stay there
3: till you're ready to move. <laughs> <laughs> very true, very true. So yeah, um, the other thing you'll notice is that most of the people—well, I shouldn't say most because I'm not sure if the statistics on it—but a very, very large percentage of the uh, people at CES are not from the United States of America. They're all. Coming in from overseas, a lot of Asians, particularly Chinese, uh, are represented there on uh, mass. Uh, the number of vendors, particularly the the smaller vendors that are looking to try to get some exposure to the U.S. market, are uh, dominated by Chinese companies. And so you you end up in this multicultural thing where everybody's from somewhere else, and uh, and yeah. that's that's great, but it's also unusual because it's it's hard to hear english around you a lot um you know you you it's very confusing sometimes
0: huh. all right there so let's be. get to the good stuff what what was your uh what was your favorite overall your your best in show
3: wow um okay so it's uh four days um each day had something different to it so what what i did was I wrote all these notes day by day to kind of give you a sense of all the things that I saw. Um, I can go through that. It probably would keep me on track a bit, but because there was so much, um, I will say that this is one person's view of what was seen there. And I only scratched 1% of what was going on. So if you were watching all of the TV shows, all of the the media events, the tech gadgets, the mashables, uh, those sorts of things, they probably found things I didn't even discover. Uh, but then I probably found things they didn't discover. And so it's almost like CES is a personal experience to some degree because it's just so big. Uh, what you hone in on, what you see, becomes your CES. Um, so I can kind of explain what, what mine was. Um, all right, so um, just in general... Uh, CES is, uh, it is a trade show association. It's run by the, um, is it the, uh, Consumer Trade Association is the organization which put it together. It's the largest convention in Vegas. Um, it really got very, very big after the, uh, Comdex, the computer show sort of stopped in the early 2000s. CES kind of by default took over that market. So it joined everything up. Uh, it's four days. And you could probably say it's five if you included some of the uh, the early... Uh, tw- it's, it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and some of Saturday, but Tuesday is really just a warm-up day. It really doesn't kick off until the Wednesday. We got in there on the Tuesday, and then Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday were the big days for me. Um, you have two areas that... Well, there's multiple areas, but the two big ones are uh, the Expo Halls, uh, which there are thousands and thousands and thousands of vendors in the expo halls and all the uh, surrounding area. And then separate to that, they have these conference rooms, which are uh, off-site, and usually they're industry only, and often you have to pay uh, a fairly hefty fee to get into some of those meetings. Uh, we bought a what they call a CES pass that got me into probably... 25 different industry inside convention, you know, uh, panelist type things. Um, That was good. That was very good because you get an industry perspective on what's really in the minds of the industry. But it's not going to show you that new smartwatch or that new drone or whatever somebody's got in a booth over there somewhere. You're, You're kind of locked away in the panelist thing. So I spent about maybe 30% of my time in that, and the rest of the time on the showroom floor. Um, the, the sort of stuff, like on day one, the big things that we saw, let me start with some of those. Um, LG had a massive uh, display over there on uh, OLED TVs, and if you were to look at the quality of this stuff, it's, it would blow your mind. Um, it's one of those times where you can actually see old and new side by side, and I know that sometimes skews. What you see, but when you appreciate the how TVs have come uh, with the 4K and the ultra uh, uh, LED stuff, and and the ultra HD stuff, and the OLED LED stuff, it's absolutely amazing to see. And um, price-wise, this stuff is coming into you know the regular sort of consumer price for a TV range. Uh, they uh, both LG and Samsung did these rooms with these massive walls full of TVs, just wall to wall floor to ceiling TVs and then the whole roof that way and these uh, displays which were moving that would move across the entire wall and up into the ceiling so they would make like a like an aquarium and you felt like you were inside the aquarium everything around you was just blue water and fish swimming by up to the side of you all around you absolutely amazing and I think that Samsung and LG are trying to outdo each other in this space uh, but they're the big players. Sony, they tried not so much, um, not so effective, but uh, LG and Samsung pretty much stole the show when it came to TVs, particularly in the in the uh, ultra HD and 4K space. Um, so that was pretty noteworthy. So OLED made its
0: debut at at CES. Uh, at least I, the my I first became aware of it uh, at CES, probably 2009 or 10, yes, uh, a while yeah, back, that. and now. Many, many smartphones have OLEDs in them. Uh, They're still a little expensive for the large phones, uh, but these guys are trying to to make that not the case. Um, Just, you know, to fulfill my role as, as chief educator here. OLED is an organic light emitting diode. It's not even a diode really. It's uh, uh, most uh, LEDs today, or all LEDs are crystals. Uh, natural rocks that they dig out of the ground and not every rock can emit light when uh, light, when electricity goes through it. And it's kind of a shot in the dark whether it will or not. So you have to mine tons of these crystals to get what you want. Um, uh, OLEDs, you, you actually grow your own Uh, Substrate. I don't even want to use the word crystal. Uh, And that lets you do things like make flexible screens where you can fold up your your screen and put it away. So it's uh, it's a great technology. And unlike other, uh, like LCD, so a typical um, LCD or LED screen would have a backlight behind it uh oleds uh, don't have a backlight they are the light so when they're off they're off so it's true black and it's the only screen right now that can give you absolute true black and that is important you know it's not important in my living room where there's windows open and kids running back and forth uh but if you're in a home theater environment and it's actually dark and you want to see um the the film as the filmmaker intended that's a big deal so that's what these guys are are really trying to hawk right now uh, that and combined uh, combined with 4K, you can really get a truly immersive experience that Miles is talking about.
3: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, when it, when you see a TV where black is truly black because there's no light there, it makes all the colors around it or the rest of it just come alive, and it's absolutely outstanding to to look at. Um, and I think this is the future. We're going to see this as just the norm in everybody's TVs coming forward. The thing that's holding it back a little bit right now is the content providers. Um, 4K content, in its true sense, is a lot of bandwidth. It's a lot of uh, rework. Um, I sat in on a panelist uh, discussion about what the costs were, for example, to put uh, TV cameras and broadcast studios at, for example, like an NFL game, in true 4K as opposed to doing it uh, just in HD, and it's it's significant. I mean, they're talking five times cost, and and that means that for all the production companies, they're out there going to have to buy new equipment and invest in all of the production capabilities to be able to support the media just so that we can go down and use the greatest TVs that we see in Best Buy or whatever. Uh, so there's a barrier to entry that's on the back end. It's not so much on the front end for us. Uh, bandwidth certainly is always an issue, but we seem to be, making some progress with that but uh definitely production is a big issue um i did sit in to a discussion with uh, sony pictures who were talking about the fact that all of the older films that they have on uh uh, you know in their catalog uh would be much easier to do true 4k versions because anything that was shot on film tends to skew very very well towards that sort of resolution of of image Um, any of the newer digital uh produced content, not so much. Um, it's much easier to take film and move to 4K than it is to take digital. It was never you know, recorded at 4K and move it forward. They have to upscale. and um, The upscaling's good, but it's not as perfect as, as a film conversion. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I kind of look at it and think maybe we're a couple of years away still. But for somebody who's looking to buy a new TV, I can't see that you'd go too far wrong with any of the 4K models out there right now.
0: And of course, uh, people are now pushing 8K because four is not good enough. Um, right, and, and just a. To- you know, 480p uh, is was the DVD that was that changed the world. So before that, in the VHS world, it was even less than 480 pixels sometimes. But in the DVD world, you got 480p for uh, progressive, meaning it scans the entire image uh, so many times a second instead of uh, interleaved. Uh, and then 1080p, or uh, with a brief stopover between at 720, uh, became the high def standard. Um, and so between 480 and and uh, 1080 was you know two and a half times the the bandwidth, and now between uh, 1080 and 4K, as the name implies, is four times the bandwidth, and then 8K is sixteen times the bandwidth. So this uh, it's not just the internet bandwidth, right? It's not just getting it to your home, but it's the actual cables themselves. Uh, having to push yep. that kind of bandwidth. Uh, HDMI spec has to be, uh, bumped up and, it had to be. It has been since then to handle 4 and 8K. So it's, it's not just a thing of adding more pixels. Uh, also every pixel you gotta light up, you gotta have a processor that can handle that. So everything has to get bigger to scale up like that.
3: Right. Right. Yep. So TVs are obviously a big thing at CES, but, um, obviously there's a lot more that, that was there. Um, I, I tried to, to do this sort of like step back, take almost like a thousand foot view at what was going on in CS to try and get a, a trend of, of themes that um, that represented the overall sort of theme of the show. Um, there really wasn't that much of a general theme this year. It was more of what we saw last year, but just, you know, amped up a little bit. Um, the things that were noteworthy, uh, automotive tech, uh, particularly autonomous vehicles, um, very much uh, active this year more than last year last year BMW showed some stuff um, this year it seemed like everybody had to, some sort of an autonomous vehicle or a strategy towards an autonomous vehicle um, there was a whole section of the conference devoted to auto tech uh, probably the thing that was most noticeable was and they did this last year as well was Mercedes had this concept prototype car that looked Oh, it looked like a spacecraft. I mean, it was amazing. Um, just absolutely streamlined, beautiful, autonomous. I, it just, it, it, you couldn't drive this thing. It was, <laughs> it was absolutely stunning, but it was science fiction and it was never going to be a product. But you, you know, these guys in Germany are having a good old time <laughs> coming up with this thing. It was absolutely stunning. Um, And some of the other manufacturers attempted the same sort of thing. Audi had a very big presence, particularly in uh, the uh, sort of hybrids and electric vehicle market. They would try and show off all the stuff they had. Um, Kia were actually not showing vehicles as much as they had vehicle-like seats and dashboards and people with Oculus glasses who would you you know if you were just in the crowd you could go in there and sit in this vehicle put on this glass and get this vr effect of what the autonomous kia car was going to look like Uh, i I just want to interrupt you for just
0: for just a moment here that (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, it, it says something about where we are as a society as a as a as a tech culture right that autonomous cars at the Consumer Electronics Show. So you you go back to when I was born, 1972, <coughs> CES would have been the toaster ovens uh, and not even microwaves, right? They would have been talking about clock radios uh, and vacuum cleaners. Uh, those were the kind of consumer electronics they were selling uh, 40 years ago. Now you you look, and, and, and it's not TVs. TVs are everywhere, right? But it's virtual reality and freaking automated cars. Cars are now considered consumer electronics. That just I didn't want to uh, to to miss that that's a big deal that's that that marks a change somewhere along the line that needs to be noticed
3: yeah, you're right there there were quite, there, actually when you say it that way, it does bring up a couple of things which I probably noticed but didn't even realize and that was there was a trend inside of c e s to move towards um some areas they really hadn't touched on that much before, even things like Business and enterprise technology was represented there, which was amazing. Um, and that's the sort of thing you wouldn't normally expect to see at CES. Uh, but yeah, definitely auto tech was big. Um, uh, you know, a lot of the auto tech is stuff that you would expect to see. It's the, the audio systems. It's, um, dash, you know, inbuilt dash stuff with apple this and android that in the dash Uh, this is the sort of thing we see in the magazines all the time anyway i just got to see somebody showing what it looked like (coughs) Uh, didn't really look all that different than what you would expect it to um the one thing that was really noteworthy was a lot of virtual reality and augmented reality stuff going on lots of that i mean oculus had this massive uh booth in the center of the south hole which was huge and if you could even get in to see what was going on, it would, it would have been pretty amazing. But they have made a lot of deals with a lot of companies around the periphery where they're selling their technology to another company. And one of those that I did spend some time with was Samsung. Uh, Samsung have this uh, deal with Oculus where they're using their glasses, but you put your Samsung phone in the glass and you sort of close it and put it on, and you're in this entire immersive VR world. And they did, uh, I was lucky enough to try this out, they did a session uh, where you could be a surfer in Tahiti, and you were literally on the board, riding the wave, and everywhere you look around you is water, you see the wave coming, they actually had the whole seats moving, so it was like one of those Disneyland virtual reality rides, but with an Oculus glasses on, so you're totally immersed in it. Um, you would think this would be an out-of-body experience type thing. For me, I kind of enjoyed it, but I didn't get immersed into it in the way that I thought, at least I think that their, their intention was. They wanted to take you out of reality and completely immerse you in this whole thing. I saw it more of something to watch and not something to feel like I was in. Uh, so I think they still have a bit... Of, of to go with that, or maybe the intention's not going to play out. Maybe I'm too much of a pragmatist for this. I don't know, but it was interesting, and it was a something something I'd never seen before, never tried before. But that was all based on the Oculus glasses,
0: which was a uh, Kickstarter project. You know, yep. you you and I funded that. Well, not me specifically, uh, but uh, <laughs> then I think Facebook bought it and put billions into it.
3: Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. They were very strong, um, and, and then you get all the augmented versions of that, where um, you know various companies are sort of adding additional augments to the to the virtual reality space. So they might have glasses with you know additional information that would show on it. Um, you you definitely don't see the Google Glasses type uh, technology anymore. There was a couple of Chinese companies I saw that had some, but they were not uh, you know popular. Everyone wanted the Oculus stuff um because we don't see.
0: want we don't want augmented reality because that's still reality we want virtual we want the thing that's <laughs> not reality um you said that there wasn't uh a uh consistent theme i find that interesting because there kind of has been uh the last several years that i've been following it right so maybe 2012 it was all about uh portable uh phones right that was the thing and then then it was the year of 3d tvs that nobody wanted um and then last year was really the the year of the quantified self. Everything the the haptic fork that would count how much uh, food you put in your mouth, and the Fitbit was a huge thing there, and all that. And and that there was there were obvious themes, not intentional, just the that the market the the people who were trying to predict the market were pointing in a certain direction. And what you're saying is that this year you didn't
3: notice a theme like that. Why do you think that is? I have a feeling that there was an intention for the theme to go around drones, and you just got this sense that everybody wanted to do drones and since regulations started to come out last year that would kind of you know put the kibosh on the whole drone thing for people or at least put limits on where they could use it or how far they could fly it or where they could fly it everyone immediately kind of backed away from the drone space and uh and that was kind of disappointing because there was some really amazing technology i did see something from intel uh that was amazing uh they have a set of I guess they're cameras that they put on drones so you can kind of imagine a drone the size of like one of those uh, Amazon delivery drones that they were throwing around you know they're, fa- they're fairly large and what uh, Intel have done is they've worked out a way of putting cameras around the drone so that the drone cannot effectively fly into anything it's uh, self-corrective anti-crash um, anti bump into things um, and it was absolutely amazing. This guy was in this cage trying to get the thing to crash, and he couldn't do it. No matter what he did, the drone backed off, and it realized its surroundings. And it was smart enough to know how to deal with its surroundings. And of that course, really the next
0: impressive. step is deciding to terminate the human user that's <laughs> yeah. trying to interfere with it.
3: That's <laughs> yeah, that's the next, yeah, yeah. yeah the that, uh, uh, there was a yet. there was a moment in the demo where he said, "And now, what we're going to do is have the drone follow the user." And this guy put a, I guess like a device on his head or something so the drone could pick it. And he was just walking around and this thing's following him and it will not let go. And, and that, yeah, it's starting to get a little scary at this point, right? <laughs> um, but it's, yeah. It's they, only they, one step till, till they mount they a gun, gun on that thing. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. I, yeah, uh, that was a little freaky. But yeah, this is what they're doing. Um, and Intel's taken the same technology and they've put it into things like, um, Cameras on skateboards for guys who ride, who are professional skateboarders in, in parks where they want you to actually see exactly what the guy's doing when he flips the thing three times in the air and, and it reports back to the judges how many times the actual thing did a 360. Oh, nice. It's, uh, it's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. You know, Um, give,
0: give it a few years and the Winter X games combined with the Oculus Rift. You know, you'll put that thing on there and immediately throw up uh, because you'll see you'll be the snowboarder going down the hill. You know, that's both exciting and terrifying all at the same time.
3: It is. It is. And, of course, GoPro had a massive presence. Uh, they were the quality of that of that camera stuff that GoPro got is just out of this world. And you really got a chance to be a part of everybody else's bicycle or they had gopros on guys in the tour de france and it was just out it was incredible really really enjoyable to uh to see that um so they were a big part of it as well um there was a lot of uh i guess okay there's a lot of buzzwords fly around at ces um you know you guys i know you guys love the corporate buzz speak well the ces buzz speak is just as uh pathetic but you know everybody's internet of things or disruptive this or it, it just goes on and on after a while you get a bit of a headache from it <laughs> um but you you did i did get a chance to spend a bit of time with the smart home uh, area uh that's a big that was a big uh, growing area at cs it's been incremental growth um i did sit on a panel with a lot of people from inside that industry this year and i think that uh, most of the concerns that we in the tech community have had in regards to um, smart home technology is pretty much been heard loud and clear by these guys, and it's all about standards. There aren't any, um, and their general position, um, which is consistent uh, all through the whole show, is that people will go to a Home Depot and they'll get one of those, you know, great Philips LED light bulbs that you know, can tell the temperature or whatever. Or they'll get a door lock or they'll get a, you know, a garage door opener or a thermostat or something like that. And one manufacturer won't talk to another manufacturer. And then you've got certain protocols that they'd they'd like to all be using, but then there's this big land grab in the protocol group between Z-Wave or Insteon or Zigbee or whoever. And at the end of the day, consumers lose because we want something where uh, a, a smart home is not just one gadget, but it's the entirety of all gadgets. So that, um, you know, it, a light that can sense the ambient light in the room and adjusts itself also works with your window shutters. So they open and close according to the exterior versus the interior light. And, and when you walk into the room, the light shines on at the level that works for you. And when you leave the room, the light reduces so power doesn't get consumed. You kind of see where I'm going. It's like, this is what they want to do, and the thing that's holding them back is a lack of standards. And the dominant player, uh, which was pretty much noteworthy at the show, was Z-Wave. Um, I'm not saying this is a recommendation for anybody's out there in the market of smart homes, but it would seem to me that if you wanted to look for the greatest number of disparate devices that you could potentially work as a system in a house, you probably want to look at Z-Wave as the protocol of choice. Um, and that was just based on one guy's view at CES, but that came through pretty much loud and clear to me.
0: Cool. So the, the smart home thing, was that, uh, uh, was that really a big presence or was it just another thing that was out there? Because it's not one of those things that you really – people aren't advertising it yet. People are, are building it, but you don't, you know, you don't see a commercial. A smart home yet um, you do still see commercials for for drones right for kids anyway the the quadcopters i'm just wondering where that is versus that you know in the the what is really actually going to come to the consumer
3: um i think that it's yeah i think you're right they're not pushing smart home onto the consumer but if you were to walk into a home depot the first thing you do is you get past the greeter at the at the front is you start seeing all the smart home vendors trying to hawk their products um you know Philips will do it with their lights and nest will do it with their thermostats and and you look at it all and go wow i'd really like to have that i can save some money on my power or i really would like this and then you start realizing they don't talk to each other and so all of a sudden it's like so i'm going to have to buy like lots and lots of individual systems and somehow manage it all and that's just not going to work for me and then you go and buy a bag of nails I mean, that's, you know, day in the life. But, but they're trying to address that. They're trying to come up with a way where centralized um, control systems or a network of decentralized control systems can work with compatible protocols. And yeah, that I, is something that they're actively pursuing.
0: My prediction, by the end of 2016, November, December, Google trumps all of this. They, they come out and they say, here's Google now for your home. And they said they've partnered with these people, and they have light switches and they have thermostats, all of that that uses the same sort of almost creepy sort of of, of preeminence about what you're doing. Preeminence is not the right word um, about what you're going to do uh, that Google now does. Google now uh, knows me so well that it actually made me feel guilty the other day because at about three thirty or so, it told me it was time to 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 go home from work. I'm like. Well, actually, I don't leave at three thirty, but apparently, I have been leaving early um, over the holidays, and it recognized that trend, and it said, "Hey, the traffic <laughs> is that you need to." And so, I felt a little bad about that, uh, but I think that that's my prediction for the end of 2016: that Google is going to announce something that just makes all these other guys uh, not that they're going to uh, preempt Z-Wave. That's not what the Google, that Google usually works. They partner with these people.
2: No, they buy them. Right. They bought well, them, yes. buy them. There you They'll go. probably, you know, Z-Wave will just become another letter in the alphabet. Right. It it'll so, be
0: the Z sure. in alphabet exactly yeah that's <laughs> the whole reason that it, it, I can totally it,
1: see that too with uh, like the smarter things company I I believe Google bought them up too so
3: yeah um, another another big player and I kept hearing this over and over again from people down there is the Amazon Echo Uh yep. the, this was a big thing um, people liked the idea of a home control using sound or voice. As opposed to doing it with a screen and a keyboard and, and, and or even on your smartphone, they wanted yeah. something where you could walk in and say something to the house and the house responded.
0: Because that's um, what sci fi has been telling us we should want for the last 60 years. Yep. You know, yeah. open the pod bay doors, Hal.
2: And then they'll
3: make right. it sound like Scarlett Johansson and it'll be the movie Her. So, and we'll be there. <laughs> There you go. I mean, if you think about it, Amazon's very well placed here because they sell all the gadgets. They've got the distribution channels to be able to sell all of the, you know, the light switches and the dimmers and everything like that. And Mm -hmm. so having an Echo device makes it all work together if they can commonly get a protocol that will, you know, all the manufacturers can agree on. Um, So that was a a big thing.
2: You'll go shopping on Newegg and then you'll hear this voice behind you. Why are you on Newegg, Seth? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Are
0: you
1: cheating
2: on me? <laughs>
0: uh, Alexa, remind me to go to Walmart after work tomorrow. I'm sorry, Mike. I can't do that. <laughs>
3: um, a couple of other things. Uh, wearables was was pretty actively uh, discussed and, and demonstrated. Um, Samsung made a massive effort to push their uh, S2 wearable Android watch and for the most part was very well received. I think they're already selling them, but uh, they had... They had them everywhere. It was crazy, and the one thing that everybody started to really feel better about was that this was a watch that was not necessarily to work with a Samsung phone. It'll work with any kind of Android phone in the ecosystem, uh, without too much of a limitation. And uh, the the quality. I'd never really spent any time looking at this. I know, I know, Mark, you've got a, a Moto X, right? Yes, sir. Okay. So um, this, I guess, would be considered the next evolution of the Android watch. And the only thing, I mean, I i, I don't have one, I've never used one before, but the one thing that really stuck out is that it they just look gorgeous. They're absolutely aesthetically beautiful. Uh, if you put them side by side, and I, I know the Apple fanboys out there are going to kill me for saying this, but if you put this side by side with an Apple watch and you didn't know what they were or who made them, ninety eight percent of people are going to go and buy that Samsung thing. It just looks nice um and I think that's a big part of this. This is a it's it's partially it's technology, but at the same time it's jewelry too and Samsung got the jewelry part right in my opinion from what I saw at least.
0: yeah, the trick there is is the jewelry is an investment that you make. Uh, decades, right? If I'm going to spend money on a Seiko or a Citizen or a, a Rolex, I'm going to buy one or two in my lifetime. Uh, but once you throw electronics in there, you got to be in, buy a new one every 18 months. Uh, and I think that's the gulf that we're going to have a hard time getting past.
3: Yeah, um, I saw some absolutely crazy wearable things that, you know, a lot of things you think, oh, there's no way I'd wear that. I mean, there could, you know, a lot of it was security devices and, and fitness trackers. Like Fitbit had a big stand there, which you would expect. Uh, Garmin had a big stand. Um, so that was normal. But <laughs> one thing I found, which I did not expect to see, um, a company, and I'm going to have to find the name because it, it escapes me right now, but it was a lady who it was a startup. And she had created a wearable Bluetooth ring for women. And if you can imagine, it's a regular ring, like a like a wedding ring type thing, but with a big rock on it. And it looked like a big, I don't know, maybe a uh, you know uh, just a ruby or something like that. You get them different colours. Apparently, it's chargeable, and apparently uh, it links to your phone, so that if you tell it. To notify you when you get a text message from so and so, or a, or this, f- goes on whatever notification event, the ring starts glowing different colours, oh. and apparently, <laughs> yeah, apparently it's the uh, the ultimate you know businesswoman's ring because you can be in a meeting and get notified of something, and it might just buzz your finger and start glowing different colours. Right, and that's the product. <laughs> so you can imagine, one day you'll be sitting in a business meeting somewhere, and somebody's got one of these rings on. It starts flashing different colors. Well, you heard, you heard it here first. These things are out there, and they're Bluetooth, and they're they're in the market, and they're crazy. <laughs> yeah, th- I, I can see stuff, that stuff though. Can
1: you see? I know people. That would, I know people that buy that right now.
0: I was. Yeah. My wife wanted a uh, a fitness tracker. For Christmas this year, and as I was looking at the available options, there were some jewelry devices, like a big instead of a a black band that you put on your your wrist. There were uh, uh, brooches that you wear on your neck that look like pieces of jewelry. So, absolutely, it makes sense that there's there's a, a that fashion electronics market.
3: Yeah, um, that does seem to be the next generation of wearables going forward. So. Everybody still believes, again, I sat on one of these panels, again, watched this sort of thing, but everyone still believes that the killer app for the wearables has not yet arrived. They're still waiting for it to happen, but I think people feel that it's here to stay and they feel that it's a progression and year by year we're going to see it getting better and better and better, that it didn't start and stop with the Apple Watch we just got started, and things are moving forward. And now you're going to see wearables in a whole bunch of different places, um, and that and that can be good and bad. Uh, one thing you do notice when you go to CES is you you get people of all different uh, inclinations when it comes to technologies. Uh, I was they had these uh, American Express put on these kind of lounges at periodic places in the conference, which were not unlike um, a lounge in say an airport. An airport like a, you know, one of those business lounges that you can go into if you have the platinum card or something like that. I happen to luckily have a platinum card, so I got entrance into one of these lounges. So I'm just chilling because it's it's tiring out there. And I'm sitting there, and this lady was talking about a robotic baby seal that she'd discovered. Apparently, a robotic baby seal was made by a company out of Japan and they use it for the elderly as a way to give them something that, you know, they can get an emotional attachment with and and you know, they kind of fall in love with the little seal and and I thought, you know And then somebody yeah, comes okay. and clubs it and skins it for a leather coat. <laughs> <laughs> well, that didn't come up in conversation, but it apparently it's like fifteen thousand dollars US to buy one of these things. And wow. I thought, well that's all nifty and interesting but I think if I was like a senior citizen I'd probably be happy to pay $15,000 for my grandkids to come and visit me not to have a, a robotic seal you know um, but this is this is where it's at people are inventing the technology before they have identified the social uh, market in which mm. to sell it to and it's clear that there's a disparity between invention and application and those that can get those two together, that's your Elon Musk right there. That's the hmm. the the so, you know the solution provider. That's the Steve Jobs right there. The, that they can join the two together. But at any point in time, if you ever want to see the distance between invention and social application, go to CES because <laughs> it'll be so far apart. Um, and somehow you have to join the dots. Most of the time, you come up and go, that'll never work. Right. And then you kind of walk away and you're on to the next booth.
0: And as you mentioned there, you mentioned Jobs, right? The the in throughout history, it's been very few people that were the one guy. Uh, jobs would have been nothing without Woz. Woz would have been nothing without Jobs. Uh, the two Steves needed each other. Um, you know, Gates uh, Gates needed somebody to tell him to comb his hair. Um, and, and take a shower uh he while he was busy inventing uh you know edison was was one of those few guys who could be both promoter and inventor you know uh but they're they're rare right elon musk is is one of those guys um and and i i, th- th- I love the way you put that there it's the the gulf between can we do it and should we do it
3: right or can it was would anyone buy it Right. I mean, and buy it for reasons of actually having a real life application for it. Like Google Glass. Not because it's some, you know, fad, but because they really have a need. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's, that's what was, everyone was screaming, looking for the opportunities there. And very few were coming, becoming apparent. But, um, let's see, a few things that were not there, which I expected. Uh, back in 2015, I guess it was the, the year before, uh, there was a large uh focus on patent trolls at CES. Um, there were panels about, uh you know, how to avoid them, how to deal with them, manufacturers losing millions and millions of dollars to settle, you know, patent troll lawsuits and that sort of thing. That was a big, big topic. Nothing this year. Not one. Hmm. I couldn't, nothing at all. And yet, no congressional laws have changed, at least in the United States in regards to that. And yet it's no longer the topic de jour. Interesting, though, on the Thursday, which would have been my day two at CES, there was a very large Chinese vendor right up front of uh, the North Hall Expo, uh, Hall, right next to Intel. The name escapes me. It, it was a very large Chinese company of the size of sort of an Alibaba type, type company, but not one that we would probably see on a regular basis kind of a a hallway sort of company Um, in the middle of the day they got raided by the federal marshals apparently I I was not there to see this I wish I was but apparently the federal marshals busted into CES went straight to this vendor and and pretty much just confiscated half of their products on the floor because somebody had filed a lawsuit against a a patent violation on a hoverboard that had been apparently invented huh. out of San Francisco and these guys had copied and were selling or trying to sell it at CES. Yeah, I've there, was, in an,
2: there was an over-the-phone kind of uh, pre-war, I don't remember the, the legal word with it, but if you look at the thing they were selling, it was almost the exact same thing as this company was at CES a year or two ago with the exact same the one wheel kind of hoverboard thing. And uh so and of course they're a lot more expensive because they're made in Americans, you know, at an American wage rather than the near slave labor wage um in from China. So that's why they shut them down so fast is because, you know, these are a detriment to our company because they're undercutting our price.
3: Right. And you know, one could probably make a reasonable case that there were probably thousands of those infringements going on at booths in the back of the expo halls with various companies selling anything from android tv devices to cell phone rip-offs to drones or quadcopters or whatever it was going on everywhere and all of a sudden i think that they came face to face with the fact that what might be culturally accessible or culturally reasonable in their market was certainly not going to be acceptable at, in Las Vegas. And mm-hmm. uh, to see that happen was quite eye-opening. Um, and I'm sure for them it would be very <laughs> eye-opening. Mm. But uh, yeah, whereas they don't talk about patent trolls, they actively were showing how they were willing to police, uh, p- uh, you know, copyright infringement. So so, Miles.
0: Before you before you go on, we're we're at about an hour now, and and I don't. I, you probably have another three hours worth of notes. Um, so I, let me ask you this. I think this question will will sort of sum up uh, the question that I asked at the beginning. What was your favorite thing? Um, what are you going to spend your hard earned money on next year? That the thing that you saw, you are like, oh, I got to have this.
3: Okay. Well, this is going to come across a little strange because it's not the sort of thing you will see at CES, but. I can tell you what the ultimate CES experience was for me because it was happened to be the last thing that I did, and so that would probably be a good wrap-up.
0: So it was literally ultimate.
3: Yeah, um, and it was very unusual and not something you would ever expect at CES. So what happens at CES is you have the opportunity to sign up for these kind of sub-CESs that occur at different hotels that are away from the... Uh, conference uh, area and i signed up for one uh called the digital money forum and it was hosted by mastercard and you think oh how boring is that going to be right we're going to talk about credit cards whoopee um well i went there because i had a slightly different uh interest i'm um a self-confessed bitcoin evangelist i have been for many years and uh, one of the things that was very interesting about this forum was that it demonstrated the old laws and the old thinking of banking, and also had about 50% of it was the new cryptocurrency uh, Bitcoin methods. And they kind of fused the, th- the two together in this little sub-conference. Um, you wouldn't think that CES would be a great venue for this. I mean, there's fintech conferences all over the place, but this particular one was really interesting to me because it got me an opportunity to see how people perceived this type of technology and where we were in terms of its evolution going forward. Um, the thing that was really interesting about it was that I got a chance to see an entire uh, set of very, very good presenters show the history of money and what they were talking about in regards to CES was how people were creating gadgets that would effectively take money. And I'm not talking from a security point of view. I'm talking about somebody who invents a refrigerator that works out that you're low on milk, but rather than telling you, it's gone and ordered your milk and it's paid for it on your MasterCard and it will be here tomorrow morning before you even realize you're low on milk. Now, conceptually, people like that idea. But when you start dealing with the way that, that money and banking works in today's economy, it's just not going to work. The problem is that, you know, our banking goes back 500 years and, and, you know, there's all this sort of history in credit cards, which were originally invented in the fifties to, to augment travelers checks, which we don't use anymore, still requires you to give your entire keys to the kingdom to the person that you want to transact with. So when I give somebody my credit card, they get my entire account details. And I just hope and pray that that doesn't end up on some, you know, Carter's list out of uh, St. Petersburg, Russia or whatever. But you know what? It does. We know that Target, Home Depot, all the hacks that are out there. This is normal. And the problem is conceptually that form of doing business doesn't work in the digital economy. And what happened with this particular conference was we got a chance to actually put together the uh, concept of a true Bitcoin-related cryptocurrency as it would play out in regards to consumer electronics. Because in the case of this sort of a uh, purchasing your milk in the refrigerator, which tells you you're running low, if you authorize a certain transaction using a cryptocurrency form, it's safe. The vendors love it. There's no chargebacks. There's no risk. You love it because there's no risk of you having to open your entire bank account to the vendor to fulfill the transaction. And so this entire conference, which went on for about six hours, focused purely on how do we make that happen? So the whole thing kicked off with a presentation by a guy by the name of Halsey Miner. And uh, Halsey was the founder of CNET back in the 90s. We probably all know CNET. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he also was one of the founders of Salesforce.com, and he also was one of the founders of Rhapsody and a bunch of other credits. I mean, this guy, big name in the tech business. Um, he did this. He has a company called Uphold, which he's just started, and it's a digital cloud-based bank. And it's absolutely brilliant. You can put money in there in any form and you can hold it in US dollars, euros, gold, Bitcoin, whatever you want. It doesn't matter. And you can shift money around between different currencies at will all on the internet. It's basically a bank without a bank. Uh, but everything is stored in, in real form. There's no fractional reserves. There's nothing like that. If you buy gold, he has gold ingots. I mean, you have to actually hold the the, the capital. Um, He did a video that demonstrated uh, the start of money going all the way back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, I think all the way back to Turkey, where it was first formed in a regular acceptable currency form. And he he went through this trip from London through Switzerland to see all the the gold in the vaults, all the way through the Turkey to show the, the start of where money came from. At the very end of it, you realize he did the whole thing on Bitcoin, which was crazy. In other words, he had made this entire trip back in time to the dawn of money using Bitcoin. And that was crazy. MasterCard saw this whole thing, and they had fronted the whole show. They had sponsored the whole thing, and I think it caught them off guard because at the end of the day, for the rest of the session, they were kind of trying to backpedal their relevance into the world. They were trying to say, yeah, but you could buy your milk and your grocery with a credit card and everybody could see immediately that that wasn't going to work, uh, that that form of technology is too old and it's not going to allow us to move forward in the future. And this entire uh, presentation ended with a guy by, uh, I can't remember his name, but he's from a company called uh, Tally Capital and they're venture capital investors. They're basically kind of futurists and he was predicting out what the next 4 5 years in the fintech market would look like and at the end of him doing this everybody in the room there must have been about 3 400 people in this room everybody in this room literally would get up and wanted to go and buy some bitcoin because that was the essence of everything going on at this conference was that it's one thing to go over to the conference halls and see all these great gadgets but the second, any one of those gadgets has to do anything in terms of an economic sense. It has to transact. It has to allow you to buy something or, or enable a retailer to sell you something. It all breaks down based on the way our current uh, market works. And it turns into the whole, if we don't adopt cryptocurrency or this sort of form of currency, we can't make that world happen. And that was kind of really at the end of the day, the summation of the whole CES for me was to come out of that session and go, I get it now. I realize it's one thing to talk about gadgets and phones and wearables and tech and all this sort of thing, but if you really want to see what's going on that really is making a change in the world right now, the most noteworthy thing is how we we have our our concept of money and how it works. And that was a big part of it. Unfortunately, Hmm. that little symposium cost you $400 to go and see. So only people who were the manufacturers and the retailers and the fintech people, the people in the know who have some influence on it, got to see this. It never got in the press. It never gets in the news. I just happened to be one of those guys that was in it. And I think at the end of the day, it was it was amazing. And you walk away from this thing going, oh, okay, I know what I'm going to be doing now. I know where I'm going to spend my time. Um, and that's one of the things that I never thought I'd actually come away from CES with this time it happened.
0: Huh. So just a an opinion question, because nobody can answer this question. Is Bitcoin the one, or is Bitcoin the first and not the, the final?
3: Well, I think, I think the general sense is that the, there are technologies that will come and go, and then there's entrenchment. And I think that Bitcoin's been around for five years now, and it's probably entrenched enough where it's not going away. Um, it was it was interesting to watch the stock market dropping day by day while i was there I, I could see each day it was dropping by anything from 190 points to 350 points day after day after day and you can see a lot of the people from china were not happy mm. <laughs> with what was going on in the markets meanwhile bitcoin went up 10 percent. and i think that people were looking at this going well, maybe we do have to rethink things and, and change uh, is very hard. I mean, you know, it's very hard to change habits of thought and what we perceive value and how we transfer value and the concept of, of trust. But it was true. It was obvious to me that the people in this conference could see that going forward, this was going to become the future. And if they were willing to do that at a conference of CES at that level of magnitude, that sent a very, very strong message um that maybe it's not perfect but it's better than anything we've got right now it has been around 5 years it's relatively entrenched but let's just let's give it a shot and that was sort of the the end point of the whole conference for me
0: hmm. i first heard of bitcoin when it was roughly a 1 for 1 $1 per 1 bitcoin uh-huh. And, and I, I and I said to my my coworker at the time, I need to go buy, like, 100 Bitcoin because $100 is, you know, not, not going to take any food out of my kids' mouths uh, and just hold on to it and see what happens. And I didn't do it. And I so should have.
3: <laughs> you and me both. It's four hundred dollars right now at the time yeah. of recording. Just to let you
0: know. so, what, so you have a ticker on the wall that you just looked <laughs> yes,
3: at? I, yes, I do. Because I happen to be one of the guys who did buy some Bitcoin back in the, dollar, the days of the dollar Bitcoin. So... <laughs> But um yeah so I maybe I have uh, you know full disclosure I have some bias here but at the same time I really did not go to that conference with any preconceived notion other than to sense get a, get like a temperature sense of what people out there were thinking about when it came to this and this is huge but it's not in the mainstream current it's not going to be one of the the uh you know flashing lights and and blips and beeps that will take your attention away on the showroom floor. This is in the back rooms. This is where this stuff is in the back rooms. It's what's being uh, spoken about and very seriously too.
0: Yeah. It needs to reach a point where a dumb guy can, can understand the dumbest guy on the planet can understand. I give you a dollar, you give me a Coke. Um, and, and, bitcoin isn't there yet you still have to be way too smart to understand bitcoin for it to be the the everyday currency but i can certainly see i I think what's i my guess would be it would be the MasterCards and the visas and the world banks of the world that are going to get together and synergize that because they're going to take everybody understands credit card um, and everybody understands uh that i give you a piece of plastic that that has some amount of worth attached to it and you give me something and I think they're going to have to to get on board, which they won't because it's exactly the the worst thing
2: for them right now. They, are are have, you saying, gonna Mark, they're going to gonna have to invest some capital in this and build a consensus? Is, is that <laughs> yes. what I hear you talking about? You need to get
0: everybody on the same
2: page. <laughs> okay. Yes, sir. You might but have I to did, circle back around a an interesting
3: times. point, though, because as the technology that we see in all the gadgets and CES are, are moving forward, Whenever they come into the point where they touch an economic transaction, that's where it fails because right. we, we can't do it with credit card numbers. The security alone is just killing it off. And, uh, and they know that. And so they know that in order for them to reach the next level with whatever it might be, a wearable, uh, a smart home device, an autonomous car that can buy its own gas, whatever it is, if they need to get to that next level, they need the underlying protocols to be in place that allows that to happen. It's much in the same way that it's really hard to have a web browser without a- HTTP, and, and Bitcoin is that sort of HTTP right. protocol. You're right, it's not user-friendly yet, Uh but there are so many people out there that are really attempting to make it that, and it's probably inevitable that one day, probably not too far in the future, it will be. Yeah, the and simplest see,
0: thing in the yeah. world for bit, to, to make credit cards relevant would be to use a public key pair. Large prime is my credit card number, and then I have a number. But you'd have to completely reinvent the system to be able to do that. So it, yep. inertia is the most powerful force in the universe.
3: Yeah. yeah. So that is probably my summary of CES. Um, it was fun. It was exhausting, but it was fun.
0: Well, I'm glad you went and I'm glad you decided to come back. Miles hit me up like in September or October and said, I'm going to be going to CES. Would you like me to come on the show? And I said, sure. And then promptly forgot about it. And then he sent me an email earlier in the week and said, hey, I'm going to be home from uh, CES on Saturday. You still want me to come on? And I went, uh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I I I apologize for not being more prepared myself I had not looked at any CES news at all Um, but I thank you for for going and being our man on the street we really appreciate that
3: oh anytime you know count me in (laughs) so uh, we're gonna we got time
0: we really don't have time but I'm gonna do it anyway for one news story because it ties in so well with what miles was already talking about where uh, cars are now consumer electronics Um, and and Seth has a new story about GM trying to to make themselves more relevant in the world of security.
2: Yeah, we talked um brought up a new story a while back. I think it was sometime last year where um some company was like they were like trying to bring lawsuits against people who reported bugs. And so GM has kind of they they've engaged the the white hat hacker community and said hey we're going to uh they've opened up a portal on hack one um which is you know where a lot of stuff like because they recognize we don't know how to run a website where you report bugs this place does so we're going to like set up a portal there and they've set up uh some rules where if you follow these rules you know we won't you know we won't sue you for Showing our stuff is broken, basically. And, you know, and, and you can follow this link, news story, you know, serve, some of them are don't put people in harm, you know, and don't violate criminal law. And, you know, you have to be a U.S. citizen kind of thing. So it's not a uh, bug bounty program yet. But I think something like this will lead to a bug bounty, you know, um, and if the vulnerability is big enough, hey, you might get a car, although if they're, if they're vulnerable, I don't know if you would want one. But so, yeah, this is um from Ars Technica. I think it's pretty cool because GM, they know how to do cars, and occasionally they know how to do cars that don't, you know, blow up or have recalls. So they realize they don't know how to do programming, and they don't know how to do computerized stuff. So they are at least realizing that and engaging the community that does in a respectful way and so this is heartening um, that a company the size of GM and the inertia of being you know such a huge manufacturing base in America that they're realizing hey we need to get on board with this and so they've reached out to the community and I thought it was a cool story and I wanted to give them some props for doing that
0: I think that's a great idea. In this uh, computers, uh, cars are already computers on wheels, right? And and if we're going to trust those cars to drive us, which I want, I want that very desperately. Um, yeah. But me too. there there is not a company that I pr- trust right now to do that. I don't trust Elon Musk. I don't trust uh, Google yet. I, I want to, but I don't yet. And I sure as heck don't trust GM because right? they they have trouble just getting you know fuel injectors right. So I certainly don't trust them with my kids in the back seat. Uh, and I think this is a great way to do this. This is saying you're going to be attacking us anyway. Let's uh, you know the bounty program has worked wonders for Google. <sighs> uh it, it has been a a really good thing for them uh and and there's that's a reason chrome is is one of the most secure browsers because they tell people hack us we want you to tell us about it so this i think is a great step forward and i hope other car manufacturers not just car manufacturers i hope other manufacturers across um, uh product lines uh take take note of this me too it'd be cool <laughs> excellent color commentary <laughs> what else can you say all right so i that's it that's all we got. we're gonna have time for news wise because miles is such a blabbermouth no really there was just so much <laughs> uh so seth tell us what happened this week in history this is one i actually remember
2: yeah we talked a few weeks ago about the decision um but here on january the 8th 1982 at and agrees to divest itself of 22 subdivisions. And this was something like almost two years, um, either before or after it actually happened. So they like said, Hey, we agree. We need to do this. And then it took a while for, because, you know, at this point, tell Calling someone via the phone was AT&T, you know, whether you were calling somebody down the street or somebody across the nation, it was. And so, you know, they had to go through and reorganize, even though, you know, hey, you're a monopoly. Well, the government couldn't just come in and cut the line between Dallas and Fort Worth, you know, so they had to. Uh, parcel down the infrastructure and make it away. So this week in technology history, January the 8th, 1982, AT&T agrees to divest itself of 22 subdivisions. Uh, Lucent technology came from here. All of the different baby bells came from here. A lot of other things. So that's a big deal. And this is the reason you don't pay $50, $60 in long distance for calling somebody 10 miles away from you now. Uh, you can thank this decision and MCI WorldCom
0: right who pays long distance anymore when i moved from texas i didn't change my number why there's no reason to anymore uh you 1983 uh certainly 1981 that would have been unconscionable uh i would have you know if anybody wanted to contact me uh uh using here in georgia my next door neighbor wanted to call me on a texas number would have been you know ridiculous Uh, i remember sitting out in the car um, because it was a car phone and not a mobile phone uh, at 10 o'clock on a weeknight because nights were free, uh, nights and weekends. You know, uh, this, uh, this is one of those times when uh, the, the government stepping in and breaking uh, something up made everybody better. And it, you, know, you know I'm a big uh, believer in small and, uh, and weak governments, but this was a good thing. Uh, looking back at it 40 years later, 30 years later, we can certainly say this, this benefited the entire world. Yep. Except AT&T. And yep. That's okay. <laughs> and and I would I may, may even make the argument that AT&T came out pretty good on this deal.
2: Yeah, they were eventually bought by um, Southwestern Bell's wireless company, Singular, um, bought AT&T and in the process changed their name from Singular to AT&T because AT&T has been around for so long. Right
0: good stuff the old american telephone and telegraph company um so yep. Seth while you have the floor what is your show closing spectacular this week what do you have to lower my productivity <laughs> thus make you making you look like a better hiring opportunity
2: okay this is just a stupid website it is hay.com it has sound <laughs> okay <laughs> It's just stupid. You, <laughs> so, you, uh, you know, with all of your script brokers and stuff, does it does it switch URLs on you?
0: Um, no.
2: Oh, you don't? It doesn't. Okay. Well, then you must. See, you know, I pretty much run this computer open because I don't use it for anything but work. But when you go to it, it changes to another website.
0: Oh yeah, and, yeah. Okay. I did see that. Yeah. Okay,
2: and it goes back and forth repetitively. So it's,
0: uh, the old html redirect
2: yeah yep it's it's hey ho over and over again uh pretty it's not a, it's a show closing uh thud i realize <laughs> that but you know they can't all be used uh carnival rides in your backyard
0: uh, that was still that one and the uh driving a tank one i think those yep. are your
2: two best well i don't know the Rena midget was pretty good yeah
1: <laughs> i did like the random (laughs) mention
0: their word not ours yes don't write me letters about that yeah
1: that was at mark at
0: (laughs) (laughs) so let me tell you how you can contact me but not about that one Uh, elementop.com click the contact us button at the top of the page that's still even though we've changed the name of the show is still the preferred way to contact us it it, uh, gives you a nice little form there with one of the hardest captures on the internet for example one of the questions is what grows in a cornfield you could put weeds there, but that wouldn't be considered a right answer. Um, uh, and uh, fill out the form. That sends a nicely formatted email that gets priority in my inbox. Uh, if you want to, uh, we have two from last week, two voicemails. We've uh, had a dearth of voicemails. Um, if you want your voice to appear right alongside ours, uh, you could dial 559 am op Leave us a voice on our Google Voice uh, number, and uh, we will play that on the show at some point. Uh, or you can send an email to geekrant at elementop.com com that goes to all three of us lest you fear that I am filtering email to the other guys I do but just the dumb ones um, <laughs> if you write good email I won't filter it I promise um, thank you for listening miles thank you so much for being uh, on the show we we will have you back uh, definitely uh, oh, you're welcome and uh, uh, you the listener with this is all about you thank you for hanging out with us and uh, uh, as uh, tell other people about it uh, now you don't have to explain what a Linux is when you want to tell them about this great podcast that you like so you can actually tell them hey these are geeks who rant everybody gets that like i was saying even the dumbest person on the planet knows what geeks who rant is so check it out uh, uh tell other people to check it out um, give us a rating and a review i would appreciate it uh you know itunes if you're an itunes user uh, stitcher uh, fm player Last.fm, whatever those things i don't even know what they all are but if you're using it and there's a like button or a review button use them both I would appreciate that. Uh, so that's it. Thank you for hanging out with us, Chris, Seth. As always, Chris, it was great to have you back. Uh, yeah, Seth, you great. are you are the rock on which this show is built, kind of. Uh, and we thank you for for being here. And listener, again, thank you. But uh, I'm going to say that ends this episode of Geek Rant.